0: God. He is so great. And the amazing thing is that a lot of what God is doing today is not even noticed. But we're at a time when I really am convinced that the adversary, Satan, you know, uh, John 10.10 10 starts with the thief, who is Satan, comes to rob, kill, and destroy, right? But then Jesus said, I have come that you might have life more abundantly. But this time when he said life, he said in the Greek, Mm -hmm. Zoe, supernatural God life, more abundantly. I think it's interesting. I haven't uh, delved real deeply into this, but I know in English the word might is like you have a choice. You might. It's up to you. Do you want to step across the boundaries of the natural into the supernatural because he made it possible? But my point about Israel is God, who created us, asked us to believe in something that we can't see. Something, he's there, but we cannot see him. Of course, I'm sure it's because if we could, you know, it's like those movies. Our eyes would probably just melt in the sockets and everything would just be like we can't contain it. He knows that. Of course, we know that he did bring himself down to a form that we could understand in his son, Jesus. And that's what most people cling to, which is wonderful. But what we have neglected so often to see is that God said, I've got so much more proof of my existence. I repeat for you just because this has just revolutionized my life. I don't know how many years. We've lived in Israel 29 years. By the way, Mary, would you stand again? I just want everybody to see who you are. (laughs) Normally, oftentimes she preaches, and so uh, she didn't tell me she had a message today. So I said, well, okay, let's take this moment. It's a perfect moment. Mary's had knee surgery, and she still went on ahead and got the kids and everybody dancing today because God is supernatural. Um, I was raised in Jacksonville. I didn't get saved till 1975. I was 19, and I was a broken girl. I'd had two abortions. I was on my way to commit suicide. Um, I got saved in a Baptist church in Jacksonville, but I was looking for something else. <laughs> I said, I, God has to, be, has to be more, and I got to um, Calvary Temple, and Carolyn Register, <laughs> she discipled me. And she put this broken girl back together with the Lord showed her how to. And so I just love the registers. Thank you. <laughs> now you got me all crying. There you go. <laughs> That church where, where Mary was at, they had um, pack-a-pew night. <laughs> we won't go there. <laughs> and uh, everybody was inviting their friends and their neighbors, and they had a special evangelist. And this is not against anyone in particular. Uh, I don't know if she remembers the name of the church. There's a lot of Baptist churches around. It's not a thing against Baptists. It just happened to be this particular one. Uh, I don't even remember the name of the evangelist, but he preached this amazing message. And it touches my heart because I just it's its the reality of God. And when, and when you, you walk in his reality every day and, and you tell stories like this, they just become heaven stories, right? So heaven comes down, mm, kisses earth. And um, so uh, Mary was there and the evangelist gave this amazing message about, was it the woman at the well? The woman at the well. You know, it's the only story in the Bible, the only time where Jesus specifically talked about worship was to an audience of one. She was an outcast woman, and uh, Jesus shouldn't have been talking to outcasts or to women culturally at that time, but he said, you know, God loves to hey, watch this. So he did it. And, uh, and that's where we get most of our uh, messages about worship when we want to quote something from Jesus. He preached about this and how Jesus changed the life of this outcast woman at the well. And he gave an invitation, and said, "If you want to know more about the love of God, I want you to come down forward, back the pew night. All the pews are packed. And this little half-Lithuanian girl, Catholic girl, comes walking down the aisle like, uh, okay. She's the only one that came forward. And uh, Pastor's daughter came and." And said, may I help you? And Mary said, maybe I got this wrong. She tells it much better than me. She said, maybe maybe I got it wrong. I thought he said, if you want to know more about the love of Jesus, you know, but I'm the only one down here. And and the girl said, are you saved? And Mary said, from what? (laughs) And the girl's like, oh, we got a live sinner here. (laughs) She starts praying with her. But then the evangelist was so disgusted that only one person came forward. He just huffed off and left. Not knowing. Folks, God has a plan for each of our lives. So, that little Catholic girl in a Baptist church, God said, You need Carolyn Register. <laughs> and Bill Register. And their little boy, Billy. <laughs> The whole church was amazing, and my brother was the youth pastor at the time, and I and, uh, said, we're going to matchmake her with Roy, and I said, no way, she's older than me. She used to be older than me, and she's not anymore. I was down in Vero Beach, and so anyway, God put us together, and the registers married us and sent us off into ministry. Twelve years, we co-pastored a church down in Vero Beach, and then God called us to step out a hundred percent in faith, even still today. To Israel, we thought, well, most will be there as two years. We'll be looking for another job somewhere. That was 29 years ago. Uh, 29 years on a tourist visa, believe it or not, that's impossible. Um, we went to to rent the top half of a four story building, and God challenged us and said, "I don't want you to rent it. I want you to buy it." And we're like, "That's impossible." Every every time God tells us to do something, we say, "No way, that's impossible." And God says, "And your point is?" <laughs> And so, so many things. Even when they asked me to move my family to Jerusalem, I was, the church was growing. It was going good. We had 1,500 people at that time, and we had productions with 8,000 people coming uh, several times a year and finally started making enough money that we could buy a dog and a satellite dish in our backyard. And and, uh, then God says, will you, this man came along and invited me to move my family to Jerusalem. And I said, how much would it pay? I'm not interested, really, but how much would it pay? And he said, that's the only problem. We can't pay you anything. And the words that came out of my mouth, and I want this to stay because it's, it's good for all of us today, because I said, that can't be God. That's impossible. Uh, wait a minute. <laughs> What's wrong with this statement? And so uh, at that moment, I love to say, that's when the supernatural invaded my natural because the Holy Spirit was doing something on the inside. And he might be doing that in your life, whether it's to come to Israel, you never thought that was possible, whether it's to, to do all kinds of things. what you, God knows whatever's going on in your life right now. It could be a financial thing, a physical thing, a relational thing, an employment thing, or whatever it is, God knows. And uh, he'll challenge us. You know what? He'll still love you even if you don't do it. He'll just find somebody else to do it. But he loves it when we'll do it because he loves it. Then we know it wasn't us. It was God. So that's that's how we ended up there. But, but thank you, Mary, for, for saying that today. I think my tears mostly dry now. I can move on. Um, in Genesis 12, it says, The Lord had said to Abram at that time, He wasn't called Abraham yet. Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. All the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Now, that was an impossible thing. Not only to move his family to a far-off land, but to have one child with a woman who is 99 years old. People say, well, back then they lived longer. They didn't have babies at 99 usually, okay? And she laughed. That was her way of saying, that can't be God, that's impossible. She just laughed. Sometimes Mary, when she gets in a, a scary situation, she just laughs. I can fall and bang my head against the sink, blood everywhere, and she starts laughing. So that's what Sarah did. It's nervous laughter, okay? She really cares while she's wiping up the blood and then making sure I'm checking my pulse and I'm alive. Uh, anyway, so Sarah left because it was impossible. And that set off. Of course, a lot of things happened before that in the Bible. Keep in mind, cover to cover in this book, it talks about a place called Israel. I call it God's center stage. You put it right in the middle. Israel is in the middle of the continents. Did you ever notice that? God separated the lands, and um, if you pushed them back together, they would fit like a puzzle, and right in the middle would be Israel. And it was a desolate place. It was a desert place. It was an impossible place. And God said, I'm going to take you to an impossible place, You're going to impossibly have not only one kid, but you're going to have more kids. And out of all that, the nations of the earth, you're going to become uh, as multiplied as the sands on the sea or the stars in the sky. You know what God's looking for today and always? Somebody who will say, okay. Mm, Really? Okay. Okay. No wonder the word says, unless you become as a little child, you can't do anything really in the kingdom of God. And so he said, okay. And along the way, as he was obedient to God, it happened, Israel became uh, a, a mighty place, amazing place. We know about the temples that were built there. We know that it was the wonder of the known world at that time. People would uh, cross through Jerusalem because it was the happening place. It was the thing to see. The amazing temple that stood there, the, the priests that would offer the sacrifices, and the smoke would go straight up even in the wind, and, and all of these amazing things, the splendor of it and the, the focus on this, this Jewish God. And everybody said... That's the God who does something. But then, as I said, 25% of this book was written before it happened. It's like getting a program where they, inside the program, as you're sitting down, you get there, and before it starts, you go, okay, here's act one, scene one, two, three, act two, and all the different things. And it gives you a little excerpt about what's going to happen. You know, they weren't prophesying. They practiced the thing, and they knew it was going to happen. But this was written just like that. Before it happened, and impossible things like we're talking about today, he said these Im- hundreds of impossible things are going to happen. Now this is the God we're talking about that wants to make sure we get the point, to give us a reason to believe in Him even though we can't see Him. All right? He said, "Yeah." He said, "I'm going to I'm going to do some things, and you'll see the end of these prophecies. Most prophecies." at the end of the prediction if you will or the prophecy says this impossible thing is going to happen i'm telling you in advance and by the way when it happens you'll know that i am god you'll know i'm the lord when it happens you know the lord sent you when it happens you know it was the god of israel when it happens you'll know i did it because it's impossible god loves to do things and it wasn't just back then Because he was prophesying or telling us in advance things that are actually coming true today, impossibly, before our very eyes. Still that way, not just a long time ago, for us to talk about and marvel at from a long time ago, but for today, because he still says, He who watches over you neither slumbers nor sleeps. There's a rabbi in the Knesset. He's a Knesset member. Knesset is the parliament of Israel. Become a real good friend of ours. And every time he walks into the Knesset or into another meeting, he'll walk in, he'll say, Hey, Roy, let's sing, This is the day the Lord is made. And we start singing, This is the day the Lord is made. I will rejoice and be glad. And, and he says to everybody, Which day was he talking about? Today! And he calls us the people of God. See, that in itself wouldn't have happened. Just a few short years ago. But Jesus said, When my people, the people of Israel, begin to say, Baruch Hashem Adonai, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, talking about us, he said, You'll know I am coming quickly, right, Brother Register? Possibly in our lifetime. I have told him that if he decides to come back before the temple is built and ready for him that he can come and stay at our house. I hope that happens. I want to sing, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus in my living room looking at him. Um, there's all kinds of theology. I don't even want you to get thinking about all of that right now. <laughs> I'm just talking about supernatural God. So he said, When these things happen, you'll know. Impossible things Israel is an impossible place in an impossible location, and yet it happened. And then, okay, I'm just going to speed you through a timeline real quickly for the sake of time today. So many things were told about. It was told, of course, that the Messiah would come. And we know Jesus came and said to be born of a virgin and all of these impossible things that it said ahead of time that Jesus fulfilled right down to every single detail, fulfilled it. And he became the main player on that stage right up to what I call halftime on God's center stage. Already hundreds of things taking place that God said in advance, written by people that didn't know each other, they didn't have the Internet. Even if you thought they had carrier pigeons, they lived in different time zones and different time eras and didn't know one another, different lifetimes, writing things that they didn't know somebody else was also writing. Dozens and dozens of writers who heard from a supernatural God. And everybody said, you are absolutely crazy. What are you writing this stuff for? And they were, some of them, pretty wacky people too, which is encouraging for all of us. God used a lot of wacky people in here. Most of the players on this stage were really strange. But they were just human beings like us who said, really? Okay. And were willing to step out regardless of what other people thought. Why? Because they had an encounter. The supernatural invaded their natural. And so Jesus came, already told about. That happened. Redemption for our sins. God in human form. But God knew that still wouldn't be enough. It is enough, but for people, for our minds. God knows how he created our minds. We're logical thinkers. He knows that that he made us to have, to need, to see something more concrete than than believing that something happened even today, 2,000 years ago. He said, no problem. He's already set it up. So he said, after that happens, the temple's going to be destroyed. Jesus even talked about it. But the temple wasn't raised in three days, but his body was raised in three days. He talked about all that ahead of time, and it happened exactly as he said. And and the Bible said that those people would be scattered into the ends of the earth. That had never happened before or since. How do you do that? It happened. The Romans came 40 years later. Jerusalem was toppled. Finally, the whole thing uh, was destroyed. And the Bible said ahead of time, it's going to be a barren place. It's going to be a wasteland. Nothing will be able to happen there. Now, here's the thing. God is so patient. For nearly 2,000 years, he let that center stage lay there, barren, just like he said, a wasteland. There were nomads. There was also always a continuous Jewish presence. There were were people that didn't mind desert-dwelling lifestyle, uh, but very basic, very primitive, uh, very dangerous, short lifespans. God kept the presence there. Even the greatest empires of the known world tried to do something with that place that God said would be barren. The Ottoman Empire, the Turkish Empire. Ever heard of the British Empire? Came and tried to do something. So, oh, we're powerful today. We're civilized. We can come in there with our bulldozers. We can do something. It didn't work. The greatest powers known to man, the powerful empires came and tried to do something and couldn't. Why? Because God said, you can't. Until. Until. He said, I will bring my people back. And when my people come back to my land, it will come back to life more abundantly. Zoe, supernatural life. But he had everybody spellbound. But guess what? What happens now when there's all this time in between, nearly 2,000 years, the church, right? The church has grown and, and the church has gotten kind of, uh, off course a little bit. You know, um, Constantine wanted to separate it from from uh, anything Jewish, and so they changed a lot of things and, and kind of un-Judaized it. And you know, the first church was all Jewish for the most part, except for uh, Gentiles who had to go through certain things. There's a whole story in that, and, and Pastor Register preaches already on that, and we will continue, I'm sure, all the things that happened there. But um, um, they... Um, When they were scattered, and now the church began to grow. In fact, the Bible said they have to be scattered in order for the rest of the world to get the word. Did you know that the Jewish people carried God's word with them to the ends of the earth? They were carrying little pieces of it everywhere they went. And he said, I'm going to bring them back. He kept their identity for almost 2,000 years, though they were scattered like a chandelier busted into millions of little pieces. He said, I'm going to put that chandelier back together. I say chandelier because he said there'll be a light to the Gentiles. And so, theology, cemeteries, I mean seminaries, bridal colleges, I mean Bible colleges. That's okay if you didn't get that, that's all right. Teachers, theologians, deep. Knowledgeable scholars had to wrestle with this thing. It says that the land will, that that the desert will blossom. It says the Jews will come back. And it says the vineyards will drip with wine again. And you know what they said? That can't be God because that's impossible. Even charismatic Pentecostal spirit-filled, which came along a little bit later after Azusa and some other exciting revivals and things happened, grappled with that, and everybody started saying, "Well, see what the Bible's real, what God's really talking about. There is we're now Israel, and and your heart is dry, and it's going to blossom, and and all this stuff's going to happen because it, we begin to to romanticize." And spiritualize the natural promises of God. The only problem is God said, when I made those, com- those those promises, they weren't just promises, they were covenants. A covenant is a blood covenant. He said, it's an everlasting covenant. You see, remember, again, he's doing it that the world will see and know, not only that he is God, supreme ruler of the universe, and so we're like, whoa, I get it now, he's real, I'm scared. That's what the Israelites said when Moses went on the mountain, right? You talk to him. You kind of like the, remember the Mikey cereal? You eat it. Hey, Mikey, he'll eat anything. The Israelites said, Moses, you'll, you'll talk to anybody. You go up there. I'm scared. But God said, not just that you'll know that I'm God. You'll know who I am. You'll know my true nature because what we see happening on this stage over thousands of years is a love story. It's a story of unconditional love. All those strange people that we're talking about in this book that didn't deserve it, but God said, I've got it for you, for you, for you, for you, for everybody. Watch what I did for them. I love that old song, what he's done for others, he'll do for you. With arms wide open he'll pardon you. It is no secret what God can do. And so he said, I want you to see my love, my unconditional love. I want you to see John three sixteen, God so loved the world that whosoever believes he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have ever have everlasting life all the rest of it I call it quality control quality of life control there's a lot more you need to do if you just want like the manufacturer's warranty right you, you buy a washing machine and there are things most of us never read but in there it says if you do this this and this or how about your car I mean, if you had that owner's manual in the glove compartment that you've that's still, like, locked together because it's never been opened up? But there are things in there. If you do certain things, this thing's going to last longer. So this is God's, his warranty. But he said, I want you to see who I am. But people didn't believe that he really meant it. He said... In the book of Amos, this is just one of many, many scriptures talking about what God's going to do. The days are coming, declares the Lord. This is Amos chapter 9, picking it up in verse 13. When the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes, new wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills. Here we go. And I will bring my people Israel back from exile. That can't be God. That's impossible. Remember, the place has been barren all these years. They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted from the land I have given them, says the Lord your God. Amen. In other words, when it happens, you'll know who did it, because he's the one who said it. People didn't think it was possible. There's so much we could go into we don't have time to today. We, we read in Ezekiel about the Valley of Dry Bones, and then you, you, you take the imagery from that, and you, you just put it right over, uh, like a transparency, you just put it right over what happened in the Holocaust. And you say, wow, this is what the Bible was talking about. Something like one third of the Jews of the world, the six million at that time, became the valley of dry bones. And God said, I'm going to raise out of that valley. I'm going to bring them back. You, You start putting all of God's promises together and you start piecing it together. And putting like flesh back to the bones, and you begin to see what he was talking about collectively. He said, I'm gonna bring them back to Israel. Nobody believed it. The Jews just wanted, they were not treated well. They were, of course, murdered by the Nazis, and and the church, the, the, the supposed church at the time turned a blind eye, knowing what was going on, and didn't intervene. People said, Well, they're they're paying for what they did to Jesus. Come on. I hope I don't have to pay for the sins because God showed us on this stage that he has another way. There were entire ships filled with Jewish people just trying to find a place to accept them and they were turned away and turned away and turned away. Talk about political. It was not politically correct at that day to welcome them in. They were dying. They were starving. Tried so many things. And finally, out of that, the United Nations, the UN, did one thing right. It may be the only thing truly that they did right. And they almost messed this up, by the way. But May Fourteenth, 1948, they said, you know what? These people need a homeland. It's all they're asking for is a homeland. They declared... Israel as the Jewish state. Amen. Now, they almost messed it up because they almost gave them some land in Uganda because Uganda said, hey, we've got some property they can have. It's gorgeous. It's, it's, it's uh, just plush." forestry and all kinds of things. It'll be perfect for them. Well, you know, we've got plenty of land that can have this. You know, Israel today is only the, about the size of New Jersey. The whole country is the size of Jersey. And and, and so they had even more land available for them. They said, let's, let's just help. You know, man's ideas are not like God's ideas, right? Let's just give them this and make them really happy. And the Jews said, no, we want the real place. They said, have you been there lately? course they had, but they said, it's a desert. It's an impossible place. People have tried for a couple thousand years. They said, but we want that place. They said, have at it. By the way, just in case you've been listening to propaganda in the media and false narratives, there's fake news. There's also fake historical accounts and things like that. There was no nation there. There were people that lived there And most of what the Jewish people have today, they bought the land at more than five times the value. And they tried to come in peacefully. They were attacked and they tried to defend themselves. I'm not saying that they did everything perfect, but I'm saying that what is being said is not true. There was no Palestinian nation. There was no... Actually, there was a Palestinian flag. It was a Jewish flag. They called themselves Palestine. The Jewish people called themselves Palestine. And they said they want to distance themselves from that name because it means Philistine. So they dropped the name. They said, we want to call us what we are. We're Israel. So another group of people very cleverly picked up that name and said, we are the Palestinian people. Okay, I am no offense not to get political. I don't want to step on anybody's toes today. You can punch me in the face afterwards if you want to. But the Bible says, touch not mine anointed. So we've got to keep that in mind. So, I just realized it got a little quiet there, so I'll move on. They came back. The Galilee was a swamp. Wow, time's really flying here. The Galilee was a swamp. The Jews that came back were not farmers. They knew nothing about agriculture. They didn't know how to build. They didn't know how to do anything. Do you get the point today? If God's asking you to do something, you say, I don't know how to do that. Or if he asks you to do something, you know what most of us say? Well, I'm interested. Show me how it could work. And show me all the details and the plans and everything. Mm, Okay. Then I'll do it. God says, that's all right. Roy, come here. (laughs) He loves to take the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Roy, come here. Lean not, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. Then in all your ways acknowledge, listen to him, and he'll direct your path. He'll tell you, tell you what to do. So these people did it. They went back. God gave them an idea how to change the Galilee into fresh water. They planted Malaleuca trees that they brought from Australia. And Malaleuca trees suck up all the swampy water. You'll see Malaleuca trees and Malaleuca stumps now, because they don't need them anymore, all around the Galilee. How are you going to grow anything in the desert? Galilee's at least got the lake The lake there. It's really a lake, the Sea of Galilee. What are you going to do now? God gave them this idea called drip irrigation. Drip irrigation is a hose with little pinholes in it. You plant things in the ground that has absolutely no nutrients. It's desert ground. It becomes the host. You put this hose. You put not only water, but you put nutrients in the water, out those little holes, Drips, dripped irrigation, and be, they began to grow things in the desert. Nobody did that before. Next time you see that somewhere, uh, uh, somewhere in a garden or a plant or somewhere, that was invented in Israel. God gave them that idea. They began growing things in the desert. Talk about the desert blooming. Did you know that today they grow so many flowers in Israel in the desert, they export flowers to Holland? Today, some of the tastiest, and and some of you have been there, the tastiest fruits and vegetables, the Jaffa oranges are juicy and tasty, are grown in Israel. They're constantly coming up. Uh, agriculturalists around the world are coming and studying, how did you do that? Teach us. Because he said, when I bring you back, you'll be a blessing to the nations. You'll be a light to the world. Inventions, um, diseases that are cured and and technology and medical equipment and all these things that happened right there because God began to bring them back by the way before that before the before God brought the jewish people back even the birds quit flying over israel they changed their migration habits sometimes nature is pretty smart there were no trees left anymore There was nothing. It was barren. Mark Twain came in the late 1800s and said, it looks like the sheep and goats are eating rocks. There's no trees. And he said, and he was the most famous writer of that time, who God used to get the word out that the world will see and know. Mark Twain wrote down. You can Google Mark Twain Israel, and you'll see this. Modern civilization could never exist in this place. And God said... Have I got your attention? May 14th, 1948. They had already been coming back. The kibbutz movement and all that. People started coming. There was a whole lot of stuff going on there that was making it very difficult for them until May 14th, 1948. But today, I just found this out um, a couple months ago. Today... In Israel, Israel has the highest number of species of birds migrating over Israel than any place on the planet. All creation will proclaim what God is doing. Even the birds, not just a few, not just a nice number. I'm talking about storks and everything. You name it; they're going across Israel. They're like saying, "Come, let's let's look and and marvel at what God is doing on this planet." Are we getting the point? I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted. Today. Mary and I have uh, been given opportunity just by showing up. We went. When they invited us to go, they didn't even really give us a job description. They just said, we we like you. We think you should help us. There's a big event once a year called Feast of Tabernacles. Uh, We went just because God said it didn't make any sense. But in the process of uh, leading worship and and teaching at some of these uh, events, the government leaders were coming because they were amazed that thousands of evangelical Christians from around the world were blessing them when the rest of the world was cursing them. What did we read before? I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. There's a reason why it's so important, this video that Billy showed. Whether you like our president or not, it's like a modern-day Cyrus. He is doing things that God wanted to get done. That other people only talk about. And they're happening in our lifetime. That the world will see and know that He is God. I got to tell you, I told you Israel's the size of New Jersey, the whole country. It's in the middle of the Middle East. Did you know that all, every nation surrounding Israel for miles and miles and miles are Muslim nations? Say what you will. Think what you want, but Islam hates Judaism. They say, and you hear it all the time from these nations. By the way, Israel is, somebody in the Knesset told me this, it's like if you put a matchbox in the middle of a football field. The matchbox would represent the size of Israel. The rest of the football field would represent the size of the nation's I'm just saying from their own mouths, they are vowed to Israel's destruction. Not all the people, not all the individuals, they're wonderful people that that are clueless to all of this stuff, but that is that spirit that is against, that that is vowed to the destruction of Israel. Their leaders all say, Israel's got to go. You know what they always say? We're going to wipe Israel off the map. They don't even put Israel on their maps. Why? Because it's an insult to them. They want to take over the whole entire world. Have you ever heard that? They say they're going to take over the whole entire world. And they got this little matchbox that they can't, they just can't get rid of. I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted from the land I have given them, says the Lord, your God. They try. Saddam Hussein tried. Saddam Hussein doesn't exist anymore. I will curse those who curse you. Iran makes threats, what they're going to do with nuclear power, that they get that power. And a lot of Christians I know, they're like, we're just praying so hard that, it, that Iran won't, won't be able to, to bomb Israel and destroy Israel. I say, well, you know what? Thank you for that prayer. But the Bible already says that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Really, what we need to pray is for America, because America's not talked about in there, and we've got to see how we what, what happens with us. <laughs> Except that those who stand with Israel will be blessed. That's why these things are important. It's not about a nation, it's not about an ideology, it's not about politics, it's not about conservative or liberal, it's just about what God says that the world will see and know that he is God. Just going to show you a couple slides, you have those last 11 slides, and I got to look back here, that's my mom in the middle there, she's such a worshiper, that's our living room. Uh, David Loden is a, an amazing, famous conductor, and other people there. Um, that was actually my birthday party. Some of you missed my birthday, April 12th. So if you if you had a gift for me, I'm sorry. Uh, people came that night for worship. This is the rabbi I was talking about from the Knesset, and uh, he had just come in. This was another meeting where we were at, and uh, we were we were worshiping, and he just joined right in. Folks, this is stuff the Bible talks about that wouldn't have happened just a couple months ago, a couple years ago. Next one. Uh, this is a group of Holocaust survivors. Holocaust survivors, people that survived the the death camps and the, the gas chambers that were about to, but the war ended and or different things happened and they escaped or different things. A lot of times because Christians took them in and uh, and risked their own lives. You've read about Corey ten Boom and others that, that hid the Jews. These are survivors from the Holocaust. Uh, most of them, in their 80s and 90s. We're told that statistically there might be about 200,000 left today. And within the next four or five years, most will be gone. And we have an opportunity to go in and to, to share with these people. Uh, I'll tell you in a minute something else that we do with them. But here's this is a meeting that Mary and I were at, and we got to to sing uh, the songs of Zion. They, knew we were Christ, they know we're Christians and know, know that we're coming in just to love on them. They're actually forgotten, like a lot of older people. Some people in this room say, I feel your pain, brother. I know what you're talking about. You know what it's like. Folks, we should go to our older uh, family members and friends and say, please tell me your stories. I want to hear from you. You've got so much inside of you I want to get from you, and I want to bless you. Uh, but they're, they're pushed aside. Israel's a growing nation. It's, it's bustling in technology, and a lot of times they're pushed aside, a lot of them living even below the poverty line. So we bring them together. We give them a nice meal. And and entertain, and Mary even gets them dancing. And uh, even with her knee surgery, she could dance better than most of them. So she goes, come on, let's dance. (laughs) We have a good time. And the next slide, here is uh, the the guy on the left, is one of the Holocaust survivors telling his story. He gets a chance to stand up and tell the miracle story in his life. And our friend Andre that is translating uh, for him right there. The next slide. Here we have Handel's Messiah. We just did this about a month ago at the Garden Tomb. Now, this is Handel's Messiah, the best of the best in the classical world. Most people will agree with me on that. Uh, and the whole thing is 100% scripture. It's about Messiah. The first half is talking about the prophecies, like we said, written before they happen, telling what's going to happen, prophecies about Messiah. Then we had this, uh, it's called Hafsika. It's a break in the middle where we have refreshments and warm drinks and, and sandwiches and things like that. And we come back together. And this is in the garden tomb, the empty tomb. What a backdrop to sing about Messiah. And I'm telling you, Arab people were there. Jewish people were there. International people came to see this. Then we talk about how Jesus, Yeshua HaMashiach, Jesus the Messiah, fulfilled those prophecies. It's in this classical piece. You see, we can't just go do a gospel concert openly in the public without being uh, uh, protested and and maybe even kicked out of the country because there's anti-missionary laws. By the way, Mary and I have a mission in Israel. We work in Israel. You know what I'm saying, in case anybody's listening to this recording. We want everybody to know about the God of Israel, and we happen to be Christians, and we get to sing this about Messiah right at the empty tomb. And see, you can get a discount because you know me. If you want to come next time and get it for 75 shekels instead of 100 shekels, and we proclaim that That's the one that has the Hallelujah Chorus in it and the great Amen Chorus at the very end. And people are coming. We're doing it also for Holocaust survivors. Um, people around the world are we're raising money from Christians that are buying tickets. Also these Holocaust survivors like you saw on the, the other slides. Uh, that we give them a ticket, we give them a bus ride to bring them out, we give them free um, snacks at intermission, and we love on them, and we send them home with a program. The program has all of the lyrics inside to this famous classical piece. They take it home with them, and they want their children and their grandchildren and their neighbors to know I was invited to, th- I went to this classical concert, I dressed up. Some of them sit there and they eat potato chips. <laughs> you are not supposed to do that at a classical concert, but we don't We don't get after them. And, but they come, and they go home. They take this really nice program, and it stays in their home sometimes the rest of their life. And it becomes something for people to look at. What is this Messiah? That's something else we get to do. That's my friend David Loden that you saw sitting in my living room there conducting there in the front. Okay, next slide. This is something that's happening now every year. It's already happened three times. It's called the Jerusalem Prayer Breakfast we now have uh, government leaders and parliamentarians, people from over 60 nations now coming. And the Knesset, the president of the country, welcomes them in. He's so amazed. These are, are Christians in parliaments all around the world who are government leaders who come just to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Psalm 122. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Those who do so will be blessed. So we get invited. Now, uh, this is Michelle Bachman there in the middle. You've heard of her in in, uh, American news and politics. And beside her is a Knesset member, um, a friend of ours who's also the head of the Knesset Christian Allies Caucus. And the pastor here on the left, they are are shaking hands with the wife of the president of Uganda. And I don't have any more time to show you other pictures, but they were taken on the presidential helicopter uh, to speak in different places. And now the president of Uganda is going to join with us at next year's a Jerusalem prayer breakfast, and they said, Roy Kendall, we'd like you to come and play some music in the background. You know, like when Pastor Register was praying and I was playing music. Uh, It's what David did for Saul. When you play under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, the demons are chased away. That's why when Brother Register prayed, all your demons left. Well, some truth to that. But when we come together, the power of God is so strong the enemy can't even can't even come against that kind of resistance. And so I get to play, I get to worship, just play these songs and they say that that the walls come tumbling down, the differences between Christian and Jew and this nation and that nation and all these other things begin to melt away because of the presence of God. So that's something that happens with Jerusalem prayer breakfast. What do we have next? This is me in Japan. I'll let you decide which one is me and which one is a Japanese interpreter. Uh, Now, from Israel, God told us that he's opening up Asia because Asia before was so closed with communism and so uh, so unreachable. Japan today has less than 1% Christianity. And the Lord said he's going to take this message about God center stage to places like Japan that have so many gods, so many religions, they don't even know what to believe anymore. Most of them don't really believe it, but they've got to have this altar in the front of their home just for cultural reasons, because of their parents and their grandparents and all that stuff. And I come in and I say, well, i got something for you. i got a book that 25% of it was written before it even happened. You want to hear about it? And he said, when these things happen, you'll know who is God. And God is giving us inroads now. Let me just show you a couple more pictures. Oh, yeah, that's me at, at uh, one of their pianos leading them in Hebrew songs. There I am. <laughs> same Bible, same stuff right here. God center stage. Next for, next one, uh, a couple of the pastors there in one of the congregations where I got to share. And the next one, this man right here, Kichi Ariga he's called the Japanese Billy Graham for over 50 years. He has preached the gospel all over Japan 50 years ago. He and our, uh, some, I can't mention publicly. I'll tell you later, uh, for reasons that I can't explain, uh, it has to be kept private, but it's someone we know very well, uh, 50 years ago. And this man, uh, had arenas opened up to them and and young people were coming to the Lord in powerful uh, miraculous ways and a lot of the one percent Christianity today came from those meetings that this man did and um, and then the, a lot of things happened to squelch that but he 's been faithfully going around preaching the gospel. He heard this message about God's center stage, and I got to speak to a conference of Asian leaders from many different Asian countries. It was in Japan, and he came up to me afterwards, and he said, I've been to Israel over 50 times. I didn't know who he was when he was talking to me. He was very humbly. He said, I've been to Israel over 50 times, brought groups there. I preached the gospel over 50 years. But today is the first time I really understand why Israel is important today. We've become very good friends. He's invited us to come back. In fact, I may be taking my son, who you'll be hearing more about. Some of you remember he's been here before. Very wild, very out there, but full of God and and so knowledgeable about God's Word and full of Jesus and just reaching a new generation as well as all of us older folks. And uh, I want to take him back over there to Japan with me. In fact, I've been invited to go back uh, in September. And, uh, of course, there are obstacles, there are financial things that uh, I still got to pay back my ticket from the last time I went, as well as a ticket to go this time. I'm stepping out in faith, step on, out on nothing as if there's something there, and all of a sudden, because God said it. And so I'm going back and get an opportunity to do that, and also uh, teach on worship in, in uh, Seoul, Korea, Dr. Cho's church. Get to do a teaching on worship there, the largest church in the world. They say they still, still more than Joel. Osteen, believe it or not. But this man, he said, I want to see one more time in my life. I want to see what happened 50 years ago. And just because of showing up when God said to show up, I believe God's going to let him see a mighty revival happening. I think that's the last slide. Or is there one more slide? That's the last one. Today, the leaders of Israel, just like the leaders of Israel in this book, it's still happening today. These guys don't understand it, but we come in, not just Mary and I, but others as well. And here, they listen. I've heard them stand up in the Knesset and say, these Christians are not like other Christians. These Christians believe our book more than we do. These people remind us that we are here because God brought us here. This is, this is the modern-day king of Israel. Do you know what I'm saying? And we're called to give Israel what I call a biblical backbone. Just wanted you to know what you're supporting when you support us just want you to know that we thank you so much for that. And ask your continued prayers. God told Mary and I on this tour that we're doing just for a couple weeks, just places that God's opened up like this today, just to ask people to please um, kind of beef up your prayers a little bit. Financial struggles and other issues, um, to do impossible things takes impossible amounts of money. We're just trusting God. We're asking you to continue keeping us on your prayer list. Come back every once in a while so you can see. It's easier to remember her face than mine. Just when you pray for us, to stand, to believe God with us, because we can't do it alone. We can't do it on our own. Lord, I pray that you take the words that you've given me to share here today, that the world will see and know that you are God. Hallelujah. Speak to those that you want to come on this Israel trip, they can walk around all over God's center stage come back changed the rest who it's okay if we can't go if he didn't call us to go we can still pay attention Israel's in the news every 10 or 15 minutes they're saying usually bad things but it's in the news they say there's no such thing as bad publicity <laughs> people are talking that the world will see and know that you are God bless this congregation pastors the leaders everybody here for your plans and purposes for this place that will be a deacon that uh, uh, i mean a beacon (laughs) deacons too, a beacon of light as they put that sign out there celebrate israel they were making a statement because a lot of people don't get it and now i pray that each of us will take what you've deposited in us we'll be able to share it to a world that is confused modern generation that says, I don't believe anymore. I don't see any proof of it. Boy, have we got proof. I thank you for that.